Thank you all, Bethel Christian Church, or should I say Bethel, New England. That fires me up. You know why? I'm a New England boy. I'm from Massachusetts. So when I see that we have a mission field, and it is not only in what we do, but it's in our very name, I am so excited to be a part of what God is doing here at Bethel, New England. They call us the frozen chosen, but we're not cold in the heart, amen? We're not dead inside, amen? God's got something for us. Praise God. Before I continue any further in the sermon that I brought here today, I would like to ask for a brief moment if our lovely youth interns would just come to the front just for a minute. So, Jasleen Sanchez, Ellie Boucher, Aaron Garcia, and just to give a shout out to Carlos Ortiz, who just this past week started his freshman year at the University of Valley Forge pursuing ministry. We are so glad that Bethel is a church that makes ministers. You can clap for them, make some noise. These guys have done everything from cleaning bathrooms, cleaning the sanctuary, the pews, working on sermons, sharing their testimonies, and I'm so proud of each and every one of them, and I tell them every week, they know that. Guys, I love you to death. Thank you for all that you do. You can get back to your seat. Give them one more round of applause as they remove. And before I, before I begin the sermon, I also just want to thank all of the parents, those of you who believe in what we do in our youth ministry here at Bethel, those of you who give, not just financially, but give of your time. There are some parents out there, I won't embarrass them because they ask me not to specifically, but what you do goes much farther than you could ever imagine. The fact that you believe that the next generation is not a lost cause, they are not just to be cast aside, but that they have a calling and a destiny for their life, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. So thank you, parents. Thank you, Bethel, for all that you do and those watching online who believe in the ministry here in our youth. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the wonderful gospel of Matthew. We're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter five, and this summer, I took the students through the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the portion that we call the Beatitudes. And if you're unfamiliar with what that is, Jesus lays out eight principles. He lays out eight if-then statements, saying like, if you do this, then not only are you blessed, but you will experience this. And one beatitude in particular, number seven, stood out to me. And as I was prepping the sermon, you know, like most people who have been in the word their whole life and grew up in church, you know, we read the Bible and it's like, yeah, we get it. We read it. Yup, read that before. But sometimes you read it and it just kind of, the word sinks its teeth into your heart a little bit different. You know what I mean? Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? Like you read it, you've read it before, but then you read it and it's like, whoa. I didn't quite get that the last time I read this. So I had to dig deeper and deeper. And in my studies and in my research, I realized that there is a serious mandate within these Beatitudes, specifically in Beatitude number seven. And the principle goes as follows. Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, again, at first glance, this instruction sounds simple enough, but I'm here to tell you, church, I'm here to warn you, there is more to this command than meets the eye. There are more to Jesus's words here, and if you're here this morning and you've never truly stopped to think about what this means, to be a peace maker and notice the verb, notice the action that is thrown into that word. If you've never thought of it, this morning, 
then you have come to the right place here at Bethel, New England on this back to school Sunday. But before I go any further, I would like to pray if you would bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your commands of scripture. Father, your word is anointed. And my prayer today is that you would give me the words to speak, that your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart in this house, that it would transform every mind. Father, teach us what it means to be a peacemaker. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Now, before I go any further, I just want to ask, how many of you in this room, you would say at one point in your life, it could be today, it could be yesterday, it could be 10, 20 years ago, how many of you in your life have ever come across a bully by a show of hands? Okay, almost everybody. Everybody at one point or another has encountered a bully. Anybody ever get wedgies? Listen, I've been short my whole life. I know, I've been there. Wedgies, how about a swirly? Any swirlies in the house? Anybody experienced that? All right, a, a select few. That's funny, and I, in first service, almost every hand went up for all of them, and I was like, all right, we've come a long way. It's good. It's good to see bullying isn't as crazy. It's a little more psychological these days. It's all social media. It's all this, like, gossip and stuff. It's not as simple as being shoved in a locker, which I was fortunately, I had broad shoulders my whole life, even though I was sure I never fit in the locker, so praise God for that. But a bully loves to assert their physical dominance over anybody that is smaller or weaker or quieter than them. And the bully will carry on this behavior really to their heart's content. Even if they, it's been day after day after day, same school year, they'll just keep going and they will not stop until they feel like they've had enough. But what happens when someone decides to stand up to the bully? What happens when someone decides enough is enough? The result, whether it's in the context of the high school hallways or in the House of Representatives, is something that we call war. War happens when people decide that enough is enough. War happens when we decide to take a stand. And humanity is always at war. In the last 3,421 years, according to Will and Ariel Durant, only 268 of those years of recorded history have seen no war. That's a staggering statistic when you break it down. 3,400 years of recorded history, only 200 and something have never seen war. It's shocking. War has always been a part of human existence. Historians in the past have joked saying that the only thing that would truly unite the humans of Earth would be a war with extraterrestrial species of another planet. And as funny of a thought as that is, it's also kind of sad to think that the only thing that would ever get us all on the same page would be if E.T. decided to phone home and call his boys and come take over Earth. That's a, that's a real bummer that it's going to take that much to get us to get along. But the concept of war, it, it can make a lot of us very uncomfortable some of you in this room, you've experienced war firsthand. You've fought war. You have served time, and we, we thank you, and we cherish you for that. Some have been part of the winning side. Some may have been part of the losing side. But whatever your relationship to war is this morning, you know that conflict, war, fighting, it's not just something that sparks at random. It's never just something that happens out of the blue. It's not just like, time for war, let's go. No, there's always a cause and a reason 
that men and women across the world and across time choose to fight for better or for worse. Common causes we know that can lead nations or even people to war are disagreement, anger, hatred, selfish ambition, like I need more land, I'm gonna go take their land. I like their swing set, I'm gonna go take their swing set. You know what it's like. Bias, stereotypes, those are all kind of the more negative things that can lead people to war, but what about the other side? Can I tell you, people don't just go to war for bad reasons. A lot of people go to war for love. People will choose to go to war out of compassion, pride. I don't mean the unhealthy pride. I mean the good pride of knowing where you stand and what you believe in. Protection, the safety of loved ones, the safety of those who can't defend themselves. These are all elements that fuel humanity's inevitable call to warfare. And many would argue that the opposite and the only solution to war is peace, right? You got war, you got peace. And they would be correct in saying that. Unfortunately, our understanding of peace, at least in today's context, is a little bit romanticized. By romanticized, I mean this concept of peace and world peace, it's too idealistic, it's too optimistic, it's too good to be true, it's just not humanly possible. The modern idealist would believe that peace means that nobody, number one, ever disagrees, that everybody puts everybody else's need before themselves, that nobody ever makes ways, no matter how sinful, no matter how immoral, no matter how evil and ruthless things may be, we're never going to offend anybody, we're never going to address the things that need to be addressed, because we want, quote unquote, Peace. But church, I'm here this morning to tell you that that is not true peace. That is not the peace that Christ writes about, that the apostles write about in the word of God. What that is, is called being passive. And Webster defines passive as accepting or allowing what happens or what others do without an active response or resistance. See, church, in order to have true peace, you and I, Pastor Noah, I'm preaching to myself as well, we must become peacemakers. And I want you to notice the verb in that word, the making part, the action that takes place. But one can only become a peacemaker when they have had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. Like all of the Beatitudes that Jesus lays out in front of us, we need God's help to, number one, understand these attitudes and these practices, and then to adopt them into our very being. A truth that we cannot escape in life is that conflict is unavoidable. Conflict is something that we cannot escape. From the bully in the schoolyard to the bully on Route 84 when you guys were coming in today, there's always somebody who's going to be needed to be stood up to. I don't recommend that on the highway, though. Don't do that. Save that for the schoolyard. But there's always somebody who needs to be stood up to. And there's always someone who needs to be stood up for someone who needs to be fought for, someone who needs to step in and bring truth and stand up for them and protect the little guy, as it were. See, passive mentality says, peace will come. You know, it's, it's, it'll come, peace will come, it's inevitable. But 
The peacemaker says, I will bring peace. Passive hopes, active does. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Today, we want to look into what it means to be a peacemaker in the kingdom of God. Now, in order to understand what a peacemaker is, we first need to address and understand what a peacemaker is not. I want to give you a few things that you can take home and digest with this morning. And one of the first things that a peacemaker is not is a peacemaker is not the kind of person who is just easy going. I'm going to admit to you, I'm a bit of an easy going person to an extent. I've got my limits, but with most things, I'm very easy going to a fault. A peacemaker is not someone who does not care what anyone else is doing so long as it doesn't affect them. It's not someone who's just like, hey, it's all good. It's all good. You know what, whatever. It's, it's fine. It's fine. You, ever, you know those kind of people? There's like everything. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. A peacemaker is not easy going, number one. Number two, a peacemaker is not always tolerant. That's a word being thrown around a lot today, tolerance. As if that is the highest virtue to achieve is tolerance and just agreeing and being okay. You know, the tolerant says like, you know, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and that's okay. That's the tolerant person. The tolerant person is like, all right, yeah, what you're doing is wrong, but you know what? Like, we're, we're still friends, right? Like, we're still cool. Like, church, we got to toe the line. And to be a true peacemaker, it means sometimes you've got to be truthful. You've got to be a little intolerant of what is going on, of what you see happening around you. A peacemaker is not always tolerant. The third thing a peacemaker is not, the peacemaker is not an appeaser. And I love this word because it's just such a funny word. And a person who appeases, they're the kind of person where they will bend over backwards for the sake of avoiding conflict. Appeasement, however, does not make for true peace. You may think you have solved the issue, but all you've done is temporarily pacify the issue. And my son Julian, man, he loves and he needs his pacifier. When he needs it, I know he's good to go. But if he loses that thing, man, all hell's going to break loose in the O'Connor household. Appeasement does not make for true peace. The only thing it does is put off and postpone the inevitable conflict that's about to ensue. So those are the three things that a peacemaker is not. Now, on the contrary, Jesus is the prime example of what it is to be a true peacemaker. Now, if you're unfamiliar, if you haven't read through the Gospels and you haven't read Jesus' dealings with the religious leaders of his times, I gotta tell you this morning, he was pretty gangster when he was dealing with these guys. He did not leave anything just like under the rug. He was like, time to go to work, oh, Pharisees. And he told them exactly what was going on in his mind. He said this, if you're unfamiliar, Jesus said that you guys look so good on the outside, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you got it all figured out. You're all polished on the outside. But he says on the inside, he says you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. In other words, on the outside, you seem like you've got it all together with your robes, your headdresses, everything, all these, these rings you're wearing, everything. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. Dead. Jesus had no issue speaking the truth to these 
whitewashed tombs, these religious leaders who looked good in the public eye, but on the inside, they were full of wickedness, full of deceit. My point in all this is that the true peacemaker, like Jesus, isn't afraid of making waves, isn't afraid of standing for the truth, isn't afraid to say what needs to be said. And in the immortal words of Pastor Eric, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, right? Jesus is our prime example of what it is to be a peacemaker. I've taken you through what a peacemaker is not. Now I want to transition and into look into what it truly means to be a peacemaker. So if you're taking notes, here's your first point today. Number one, the peacemaker is honest. The peacemaker is honest. Peacemakers, according to Kent Hughes, are characterized by honesty. If there's a problem, he admits it. No hiding, no wishing, only operating in reality. The prophet Ezekiel warns against those who act as if everything is okay when it's really not. I'm not going to read the whole text. If you want to go home and read it, it's Ezekiel 13. But Ezekiel talks about those who are living in terrible times and say, it's okay, there's peace. He warns and says, don't be blind like these people. Because he warns us that to do this, to pretend that everything is okay when it's not, to act like everything's good when everything's really falling apart, he says it is the same as putting plaster on a wall that is just cracked and falling apart and you just like, you keep putting it on, this plaster and cover this crack and hide this. No, we don't want to address that. We don't want to talk about this. There's no serious renovation that takes place. It's only a covering up. But Ezekiel goes on to warn us and he says, the rain will come. The rain and the winds will come. And when it does, the cracks of that wall will become even more visible and that wall will begin to crumble. The peacemaker does not do this. A peacemaker is painfully honest about the world, about their situation, about personal relationships and their dealings with others. The peacemaker will admit when he is at odds with others. The peacemaker will admit that things have not gone their way relationally with others, especially in the body of Christ. They will admit and they will try to rectify the mistake, the offense that was made. They acknowledge the tension and the hatred that others might have for him. And Jesus even told us in scripture, if someone has a problem with you, don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. That's peacemaking, church. It's taking the first step. In other words, the peacemaker is not a pretender. The peacemaker refuses to say peace when there is no peace. And how often do you and I in our own lives try to just plaster over those cracks just hide it, just put it away. I'm so guilty of this. I'm here, I told you today, I'm preaching to myself. Every time I preach, I feel like I gotta learn the lesson before I preach it, unfortunately. But we go through these things and it's like, nope, I'm good. People are like, hey, are you okay? Can I pray for you? I'm good. And you just start plastering and you just do it. I know that's not actually how you plaster. I work on cars. I'm not a carpenter. I know that's not actually the motion. But you just plaster over those cracks. We quote scripture. We look good. We put on our nice shirt. We drive nice cars, whatever. We got our church faces on, but on the inside, our walls are coming down. We're falling apart, church. 
The peacemaker does not pretend everything is okay. And more importantly, the peacemaker does not avoid the trouble that is around him. See, avoidance is only a temporary solution. And something I tell my students more often than not is to avoid a problem only paves the way for greater problems down the road. It's like a snowball. It always compounds. It always gets bigger. A peacemaker is honest. The second thing I want to turn your attention to is that a peacemaker is willing to risk pain. Now, anytime we attempt to bring peace in an awkward or a tense or a weird situation, we risk not only failure in bringing peace, but we also risk being misunderstood by the ones we are trying to make peace with. We risk looking dumb. We risk looking foolish, especially if you come from a, a background or a family where people like to just sweep things under the rug and act as if they never happened when the truth is these horrible things were done, these horrible things were said, and you're trying to get some closure and you're trying to rectify it, but how backwards is this? When you go into a situation, you try to make peace, people look at you as if you're trying to start trouble. They look at you and they're like, why are you bringing that up? Why are you going there? That was years ago. That was forever ago. And you're like, well, that was last week. But actually, yeah, it still stings. Like, it still hurts. It's had an effect on me this long for me to still feel it and to still bring it up. We run that risk. We run that risk of looking foolish in our pursuit of peace. And this is something that Christians have become especially good at because we want to make sure everybody thinks we got it all together. We're not gonna bring it up, just more plaster. We're not gonna address that. Yeah, what they said was wrong. You know what, it might not even have to do with you. It could just be a good friend, good family member of yours. They're destroying their life, but you don't wanna say anything because you're worried they're gonna just like abandon the whole relationship as a total. So we just plaster. Everything's good. You stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. We're fine, we're good. Church, the temptation to just let things slide is so easy. A lot of times we don't even want to attempt to bring true peace because we think we will only make things worse. An unfortunate situation I saw firsthand was a neighbor I had growing up. Forget the neighbor's name, but him and his wife, they had a son who was addicted to heroin. And the father, he wanted to put him in a program. He wanted to, you know, make him just come clean, get him therapy, get him all this stuff. The mom was like, nope, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to love him and hope for the best. Unfortunately, that marriage ended in divorce. And the son is still addicted to heroin to this day. You can choose to address things head on or you can choose to let them go. But if you choose to let them go, as I've said, we only prolong the inevitable. You only make things worse by letting them go. Letting them slip away, letting them sweep under the rug. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And if there's one thing we need, church, if we're gonna be peacemakers, we need accountability. Our brothers and sisters in the church, we need one another. I'm a pastor. I make mistakes. I need people in my life. I have people in my life to tell me when I'm being a goofball, to put it lightly. I've got people in my family. I, my dad, he's a big influence. And my mom, big spiritual influence in my life. I'll tell them like, I'm oh, this, that. And then they, they'll be like, yo, you need to calm down. To this day, 
Kids, mom and dad will always be speaking in your life, just so you know. The wounds of a friend. I want you to hear that. The wounds. It's going to sting. Truth hurts. Especially when you've been messing up. Truth hurts. But it leads to peace. And these two qualities of the peacemaker, honesty, about the true status of peace, the willingness to risk pain, to look foolish in the pursuit of peace. It leads us to my last attribute of the peacemaker, which really when you hear it, it almost sounds like a paradox or an oxymoron. It sounds like it doesn't make sense when you read it firsthand. But according to Kent Hughes, he says this, a peacemaker is a fighter. In other words, the peacemaker makes trouble for the sake of peace. He wages peace, and I love that word. We talk all the time, we wage war and wage this, but like, church, we've been called to wage peace, to bring it, to force it, to make it happen. In Ephesians 4, 3, Paul urges us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Romans 14, 19, to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And he goes on to say in Romans 12, 18, if possible, for so it depends on you. Live peaceably with all people. And the key to remember here in these verses, in Paul's writings, is that you and I cannot do this alone. You and I cannot conjure peace in our own power, in of ourself. Bethel kids, you cannot do it alone. Bethel youth, you cannot do it alone. And causing trouble for the sake of causing trouble is not helping anybody. I want you to understand this. The world has enough big mouths. Believe me, I know a lot of them. True peacemaking must always be done under the guiding and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Peacemaking is not proud. It's not boastful. It's not self-seeking. Peace is possible, church. True peace is possible. And here's how. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down, listen to this, in his flesh, the dividing walls of hostility. Jesus became our peace. His blood paid the price for our peace. His very presence living inside us overflows peace into the most dire of circumstances. But the only way to get a taste of that peace is to tap into it. You remember I said it takes action on our part. It's not some passive thing. It's up to us to tap into it. Jesus said to the woman in the well of Samaria, I am the well that never runs dry. All who thirst and drink from it shall what? Shall never be thirsty again. And church, we hate how simple that is, don't we? 
We always tend to overcomplicate things. We're like, that can't be. It can't be that simple. It's way too good to be true. There's no way it's that easy. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that is the beautiful simplicity of the gospel. And it's simply this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, our first step in order to be peacemakers is to seek him, to seek his word, and to run after his transforming spirit. But know this, peace is not a natural human quality. As I said before, it's not something we can just conjure and call upon just through serious, intense focus and meditation. That's not how it works. Peacemaking can only take place through a radical change in the human heart and through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Kent Hughes said the following, the radicalness of Christ's call to peacemaking demands a renovation of human personality. You and I must have a profound experience with the peace of God. And Hughes wraps it up by saying, no one can become a peacemaker until he has found peace within himself. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I invite you to stand this morning, church. Altar team, I would invite you to the front. Church, we have not only been called and commissioned, we've really been commanded to be peacemakers in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our own families. How many families are out there just sweeping things under the rug, just letting things go, and all it leads to is bitterness and division. All it leads to is more pain down the road. But peace, church, true peace is possible. It's possible, but only by submitting to the will of the Holy Spirit. I would ask you to close your eyes this morning and bow your heads. And those of you watching online, if you would...